Welcome fellow pilots and other podcast listeners to another episode of the Alaska Pilots Podcast. I'm your host, Strategic Communications Chairman, Captain David Campbell. We're recording a podcast because recently we launched a major campaign to bring awareness to Alaska Airlines customer base about the negotiation process. And we'll talk about that today with your MEC Chairman, Will McQuillan. Hi, Will. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. Uh, Joe Youngerman, who is our MEC Vice Chairman. Joe, thanks for being here. Glad to be here. And also Ronan O'Donohue, our Strategic Planning Committee Chairman. Ronan, thanks for being here. Yeah, no, glad to be here. Thanks, David. So we'll talk about the campaign in just a minute, what it is, why we did it, and how you can help with it. But first, let's get into more of the context about why we think it was necessary, which relates directly to negotiations. So again, we'll start us off with that. Tell us where we are. Thank you very much, David. I think uh, obviously most of the pilots know that we've been negotiating since the spring of 2019 towards your goals, your contractual goals, and that uh, we've recently, as soon as we started to shift the conversation into pilot-centric issues, in particular job security and that of scheduling flexibility, that we have found uh, basically a, a cold shoulder from the company and not a willingness to productively engage in those conversations to move to market. And uh, in September, the end result was that the company filed for mediation with the National Mediation Board. Um, a couple of things that I think are that's obviously part of the process envisioned by the RLA, and it's a path that a lot of airlines end up in. And uh, we can talk about that maybe on a later podcast about what exactly that looks like. But uh, I think the frustration is that an average mediation case with the NMB can last up to two years or even longer, and typically happens much later in the process when we've refined the discussions down to just a couple of key issues. Uh, and we don't even have economics on the table yet, which is part of our frustration. Um, in addition, the, the reality that the staff mediators haven't been released from their COVID-related travel restrictions yet um, to conduct mediation cases. So that kind of relegates you to either a Zoom format if the mediator is willing to, to work in that capacity. And just the, the cadence of meetings are, are so much slower. It, it's not a place that any of us wanted to be, but unfortunately one that we envisioned was, was possible. Well, is it safe to say that this is a delay tactic? It certainly will work out that way, absolutely. And I perceive it to be exactly that. When you're just seeking market parity with your peers, it doesn't seem to be a significant ask, especially when you've got so much language that's out there that exists in other CBAs that effectively problem solves the concerns that the, the company has raised. Um, you know, we're talking about market solutions and for everything that we're talking about so far that the pilots are seeking. And what's really missing here is a willingness to engage meaningfully and problem solve on the company side. You know, the company will most likely construe this as, no, this is helpful in the process. We're trying to move it forward. And that's why we've gone to the National Mediation Board for assistance to, to bring us together. I don't share that view. And I I'm, imagine you don't either. Why is that not the case? Well, I think there's a couple of issues at hand there. David, and you know, one of which is that they always want to construe our asks as being um, unreasonable or putting the company at a competitive disadvantage. And as you know, when you seek parity with your peers, you're just simply looking for a level playing field. As we've told so many um, people on our press interviews this last week, what we're seeking here is just parity with our peers. And I think that that's the perhaps the most 
frustrating part. And uh, the underlying message is, and the reality is, is that the company enjoys a an advantage, a competitive advantage, as we've said on some podcasts, on the backs of our contract. That when we're talking about these two key work rule areas in terms of job security and scope and scheduling flexibility and work rules, you know, that those are issues we've tried to resolve even before 2013 ratification. So we're, you know, eight years and counting on a number of these issues. And for the, the company to enjoy an advantage on our backs and delay is obviously in, in their favor. You know, and one other underlying, I think, frustration is kind of the perception here at the table that, you know, we don't speak for the pilots. This is an ongoing theme that we don't have the the true will of the pilots in hand as we negotiate for this contract. And that is just simply obviously not true. You know, rounds and rounds of scientific polling that's accurate to within three or four percent tells us otherwise that the pilots are highly focused on these key goals. And it, it should be far, far easier to have these conversations, especially when other airlines have solved the problems before us. Oh, I agree. I agree with uh, what Will said. I think this isn't uh, what we're asking for here isn't breaking any new ground. And I think it's the folks that are being unreasonable are the ones that are asking to, uh, you know, live outside of what is industry norms, essentially, for their own advantage, uh, whether it be uh, with schedules or with job protections. This is what we are not asking for anything radical. We're not asking for anything new. We're not going into space here. What we are trying to do is uh, bring ourselves up to 2021 and, uh, you know, live in a world that essentially the rest of the industry lives in. The company pushes back on that. They want to continue to enjoy advantages that they've uh, had for a significant period of time. And that's that's just not acceptable because pilots feel this. They feel this. When, you're, when your schedules are poor and your flexibility is poor and lags the industry, peep, that's, that's something every pilot feels. And it's why it's something that every pilot feel strongly about when we poll is because it's affecting their lives and it's affecting their decisions whether or not they want to continue to work for Alaska Airlines. It's affecting their decisions whether or not they want to come to work for Alaska Airlines. These things matter. It's not radical. They matter. You know, Joe, they do matter. And it's the, it's the most consistent thing I hear is just this incredibly mounting frustration with the lack of progress. And with the frustration that this is my life for the next two years, three years, whatever the case may be, until we can get these improvements made. As you said, they're not groundbreaking. This is this is what our peers have. And I had one pilot recently who said, I'm tired of being jealous. I'm tired of being jealous of my friends, of, of looking at my colleagues and other airlines that are just, they're able to have the flexibility. They're able to take that vacation, get the time off. And they just don't have it here. And I thought it was a great way to put it. But also to add to your point, David, of earlier on, you know, when I read that letter that just recently came out to all the pilots there, which was parsing this as a way to move it forward, it was so frustrating to read that. There was a way to move this forward. We were in private mediation. We were facilitating it. We were getting places with, you know, with trying to get this deal done. And this is not the way. So unfortunately, this is where we are. And this is where we're going to have to go. So, Will, the meeting that you requested to introduce the idea of private mediation was important to have all of the decision makers there. And how did that go? 
Well, I mean, the the meeting was a good, candid discussion. I think maybe the the real disappointment was that, um, as we just alluded to, the real decision makers are typically all the way up at the CEO level. And while it was good to have a dialogue with Shane and with with Constance, um, Shane Tackett and Constance von Mulen, it it would have been very nice to have had Ben Minacucci there in order to have that conversation that our contract goals and the company's growth goals are not mutually exclusive and that there's a great deal of value to the company in having a market parity contract as they move forward. So we are in the NMB mediated process now. And so we'll, where are we exactly? What's, what's going on? Well, we've had one initial telephone call with uh, Mike Tosi, who is our assigned mediator for uh, the process, just to introduce ourselves and to provide him some educational materials about where we are in the process and uh, what our positions are at the table. And I know the company did exactly the same, passed along some materials and brought, brought him up to speed on where they are. But at this point, no mediation sessions are uh, currently scheduled. So just because we're in mediation with the National Mediation Board doesn't mean we can't meet with the company any time that we want to and that they'd be willing to. And in fact, they often say that they're willing to meet with us. So what's the discrepancy there? Why aren't we meeting with the company? And, and likewise, we've always said that we are more than willing to meet with the company if they want to engage with us productively and constructively problem solve, as we always say, when it comes to these issues that are really critical and key, you know, to the, to the pilots. Um, but, you know, against a backdrop that the last thing that they've really said to us that certain things that are key and critical to the pilots are not up for negotiations, that, that's, that doesn't move things progressively forward, right? And we're awaiting for them to provide us a turn back on the, the scope language in order to talk to us about what their problems are and where they're willing to go. And they haven't done that. We've just simply been told across all of the key areas that while we recognize that the proposals that ALPA has on the table are in line with the industry, we believe that they put us at a competitive disadvantage. I think it's quite funny, actually, when you read back on the um, letter that was put out in July of what's not open for negotiation, but then the constant mantra of we're willing to meet to negotiate. It's a complete contradiction. Well, right. And when they when they send out a letter saying that essentially scope is non-negotiable and follow that roughly two weeks later with a letter telling pilots, well, look, scope is something that we negotiate towards the end of the process. You're either being disingenuous in that letter or you're being disingenuous in the first letter. You know, if, if you're coming to sit down and just, you know, play games and bring the same sort of non-solutions to the table that you always bring, things don't move forward and problems don't get solved. It's pretty obvious why you want to push it towards the end of negotiations. And that's been their strategy up till now. It's, you know, we've always done it this way. We're not going to do that. This or that is not negotiable. That's not problem solving. That's being obstructionist. And that's what we've been dealing with. And you're right, Joe. They have historically always tried to bring scope in at the very, very end after they have enough progress at the table on what has historically been different issues that are important to pilots and been able to, you know, 
sense where the ratification threshold is and, and be able to eventually get a deal across the, the line without materially addressing the scope issues. I think the important message here, one that we've tried to make time and time and time again, is that this is one of the pillars of this negotiating cycle and that there is no ratifiable deal without meaningful scope language. There just isn't. They could put any amount of money on, but without ha having meaningful progress in those two areas, there is no ratification that will happen. These things have to be addressed. What they need to understand and what pilots do understand is no pay rate, uh, no work rules. None of that means anything if your job can be farmed out to other pilots, to another airline. And and so that's why that point is so very true, Will. I mean, we that is a keystone uh, to any agreement is is the protection that your job is going to be here, that you're going to get to enjoy whatever benefits and pay that you've negotiated, and it's not going to be given away. It matters. We've seen this strategy before. It doesn't end well for the pilots, and, and it's it's a story that, you know, it's a tired tale, and, and we're not willing to sit through it again. Things are going to be different this time. That doesn't mean we're radical. It means we want to see real results. Yeah, I feel pretty safe in saying that the things that we've just discussed as it relates to the company is an example of them not doing the right thing, even though that's a core value that they state. And so we have decided to broaden the audience of, of who knows that. And so we have been communicating that our company is not doing the right thing. And we've essentially been asking them to do the right thing and value their pilots. So Ronan, do you want to talk a little bit about some of the other examples of what that means, why they're not doing the right thing. Yeah, thanks, David. So basically, you know, we've been very patient up to this point. We've allowed the process to work. Um, even more to the point, we, we let it work really well last year during the whole uh, COVID crisis. We partnered up with them really well and got some great programs and got some stuff done. That was an advantage to both sides and it just really should have illustrated to them the value of a good partnership and a good relationship with Alpa. But when it came back to this whole Section 6 contract, it broke down yet again. And um, it was very public last year. In fact, there was videos and other things put out about the successes that we both enjoyed. But, you know, we've always kept this stuff that's going on with Section 6 semi-in-house. And part of that was largely to do with, like, protocol agreements that were baked into... Um, the whole contract, the, the negotiation discussions, that we were not going to uh, have these discussions externally. But in this Section 6 um, process that we're currently in, we are not limited by a protocol agreement, um, disallowing us from um, talking outside about what's really going on and what's really happening at the table. And frankly, you know, the, the pilots need to know, their families need to know, the public needs to know, and there is great interest within the media too, as you've seen from the last week, with what we're doing and the fact that we're stalled. So we embraced that. And last week we started on a campaign where we basically broadened our audience from an internal to an external audience. And it was um, it's gotten quite a bit of traction on social media, in the media itself, um, with some financial folks and um, then with just flying public. And there's a large desire to know why we are where we are and what's going on. And as I, I do go back. I, I guess what's what's most people don't realize is that we're not trying to, as was said in the, earlier in this uh, podcast, we're not trying to break new ground here. 
all we're looking for is things that we we should have the rest of our peers have and this is um this is uh, we're just looking for parity you know a standard market rate contract and um just basically you know the job security and with their scope provisions and also the flexibility the this which is you know that these are these are things that are really near and dear to our pilots and have been proven time and time again um, as this process moves forward, you'll see that public outreach um, start to grow and you'll see us um, going into different places and different things, um, which, you know, as, as they unveil, will make a lot of sense as to what we're doing and why we're doing it. But uh, that's that's kind of where we are right now. Yeah, I agree, Ronan. I think, uh, you know, 2020 was a very illustrative year with respect to demonstrating the positive results uh, as you know, Will talked about earlier of working together, you can you can have a company that can prosper or at least in that situation survive huge challenges, and at the same time uh, come up with innovative innovative solutions to protect pilot jobs and to make sure that uh, no one ends up on the unemployment line. And and uh, you know they were not mutually exclusive. We were able to achieve both of those goals simultaneously. The company essentially had their back against the wall and they came to us and they, they needed help. And we, and we found solutions that were good for, for both parties. And so now we're faced with a situation where the company's returning to profitability. We're coming back after saving them tens of millions of dollars uh, in 2020 and saying, okay, you know, we've got, we've got issues that have been on the table for years and we need to find solutions to these problems. And, the company is basically turning their back on the pilot's issues. And, you know, when you talk about fair play and do the right thing, I think no matter what walk of life you come from, you understand that those things matter. And the company, if it's going to paint these slogans on the side of their airplanes, need to live up to these, up to these mantras, up to these values. You know, it's time to sit down with us and solve our problems to address our concerns and to do the right thing. Uh, and, you know, just to tag on to that, Joe, you said like this was eight to 10 years that we've been um, looking for these improvements. But, you know, we're going back to the JCBA. There's a lot of open items. I, I don't know if you or Will wants to take that, but there's a lot of open items still going back to, you know, the arbitration ruling from just coming off the merger, which is very recent history. Yeah, I think that's fair, Ronan, that, you know, obviously scope was sought in the JCBA negotiations at the time of the merger and, you know, returned back to the parties for negotiations that the arbitration panel thought it was beyond their um, their scope of responsibility, no pun intended, to deal with that issue of scope. And then uh, obviously the work rules piece on the scheduling flexibility MOU, uh, you know, those were the same types of things that we were advocating for back then four years ago and obviously much longer. But the company didn't come prepared to make substantive changes. And the, I think the frustrating thing is that the one big change that we did negotiate that would have provided pilots with a little bit more flexibility uh, has yet to be implemented like four years later. And that's specifically something called third step. And it was a basic, as you know, for the pilots who are listening, we have a first step and a second step trading process as part of our monthly line bidding um, 
and it, that is seniority based. And third step was kind of negotiated in terms of a, an additional opportunity to allow pilots on a first come first serve basis to take their current schedule and to allow them to trade with open time uh, as other pilots put open time in that would constantly change over the time period and be able to massage their schedule. At United, we called it the big pick. And it was something that was very useful for pilots, especially junior pilots, to be able to change their schedules, something that is absolutely key. And yet here we sit four years later and it has yet to be implemented nearly four years later, to be perfectly fair. I think, David, it's fair to say that you know, when it comes to some of these scheduling issues, and certainly on scope too, like our work rules, they're they're frozen in time, and that's incredibly frustrating. And you know, I, we were talking about it earlier, but when I get asked time and time again, when did things become difficult in negotiations? And just like Joe alluded to, when we shifted from talking about company priorities or mutual priorities to pilot priorities. Yeah, that's right. There's just not a willingness to address our concerns. And since I've become involved uh, since the merger, we've been articulating the issues that pilots are upset with or concerned with and want to see improvements on. And we've we've got a lot of placating, but we really haven't had any substantive movement on these issues. And we know from 2020 that things can get done, but there has to be a will uh, on the part of the company to want to deal with them. And they're basically saying, we're, we're not interested in solving your problems. We're interested in a competitive advantage and we're interested in you paying for it. And that they're also interested in saying that it places them at a competitive disadvantage or in some way, shape or form would have an adverse effect on the company's operation. And as I've said on previous podcasts and say it here again, it's as simple as doing the homework that we've done. Call the other properties, ask the other management teams, what has been your experience with this contract language? In particular, when you give pilots choice, when you give pilots the ability to choose and to make their own quality of life adjustments, I think you will find that the company will achieve productivity. And yet that seems to be a notion that's constantly rejected or that there's a great deal of skepticism around. And I would just say, pick up the phone. It's that simple. Yeah, you know, I think I can summarize a lot of what you're saying by pointing out that the goals of the pilots are reasonable and they're affordable and that they're long overdue. And so that is a lot of why we've launched this campaign is to try to move this process forward. And so we are, as we said a minute ago, broadening the audience of those who know what's going on. And so we've done a lot of things. I want to talk about that for our pilots because this is, as I said, it is the largest campaign of its type in Alpa's history. And because of the technology we have right now, we can be very targeted in this approach. And because of that, there are a number of things that pilots probably won't see because our pilots already know what's going on. And so we're not really trying to educate them. We're trying to get out to the, the rest of, of the world. And one of the big ways we did that on Monday, we had a press release to generate interest in the, especially the financial reporters. And then on Thursday, we held a press conference and we had a lot of interest from all of the big players. So CNBC, The Washington Post, New York Times, Bloomberg, UBS, JP Morgan, all of these types of folks got in contact with us and asked questions. We'll did a number of interviews with them on Monday, and we were able to get our narrative into the um, world of, of reporting over the week. 
some other things that are, are going on are just ad campaigns that uh, you may have seen uh, print ads in the newspapers and lots of ads on social media. So, so we're really getting our, our word out there and that is going to continue. What you saw this week is only a part of this campaign. It will be ongoing and, and we will continue to get that message out that Alaska Airlines needs to do the right thing and value its pilots. In addition to the social media and the sort of new media that we have available, we did a number of old school things like in SeaTac, we had a leafleting event. We passed out leaflets that explained what was going on with the pilots as well as some bag tags that were a big hit with the passengers. And there'll be other opportunities like that, other ways that you can volunteer. And, and Ronan, maybe you can speak to that. Yeah, of course. Um, as we go forward, there will be um you know, there, there's a very heavy focus, absolutely, on the social media world, and that's that's the world that we live in now. But conventional methods of um, pilots displaying their unity will be absolutely upcoming. And as you see these events start to pop up, you know whether they be leafleting or more formalized picketing events, obviously this is where we really need to depend on pilots and their unity. Yeah. Ronan, if pilots want to help with this campaign, what should they do? I would absolutely love to get as much help as I can from any pilots with these formal union events. And the best way to do that is to get in touch with myself, um, Drew Coyle, and he's my vice chairman, and um, even just reach out to your rep. So absolutely step up, um, step forward. We'd love to hear from anybody. So the start of this campaign was organized around the investor call. And so as long as we're on that topic, Will, what did we learn from that? that we do work for a profitable and successful airline. Uh, in fact, uh, if we learned anything from that that third quarter investor call and some of the forward-looking statements that they made, um, the company envisions continuing to be successful and continuing to grow, right? With an adjusted pre-tax profit for the third quarter of $236 million, and again, the important one here, look at a 12.1% profit margin, which is still better. I know we have earnings calls this week, but still better than any airline that has reported so far, right? In terms of revenue being down compared to 2019 at 18%, that still is better than our competitors with Delta and United. Yields that are up 4% from the third quarter of 2019 and strong load factors too at 80.3% up from uh, the second quarter, which was around 77%. The balance sheet continues to be incredibly strong and you know ending the quarter with about 3.2 billion, 3 billion excuse me, in liquidity and prepaying 425 million in debt payments. You know, they've they've now made what 1.2 billion in debt payments in 2021 and with an adjusted net debt that's under 1 billion at the end of third quarter. So um, I think that those are kind of important things to note that the company is profitable, successful and poised to be able to afford parity with your peers and to be able to afford a contract that that puts them on a level playing field with every other airline out there. Yeah, the company is, uh, you know, as we come into uh, the recovery phase of the pandemic, uh, our company certainly leads the pack by a wide margin. You know, as you've said, Will, and they're, if they've got money to uh, reward shareholders and are anxious to do it and paying cash for airplanes, they certainly have the resources to address our concerns. And let's not forget that they made it very clear that they intend to pay cash for airplanes. And not only that, but they're also intending to reward shareholders. That was telegraphed loud and clear. 
Well, I think you guys are making important points, and maybe that's a good place to turn the conversation, David, as somebody who's been here for 20 years with me here at 15 years, um, that kind of what we're seeing here is yeah. a return to the, the same playbook, right? The same things that we've seen through every negotiating cycle with this company. And I think it's kind of important that the pilots understand what they can anticipate or what, what exactly we're going to see, or maybe what some of those frustrations are that things just haven't changed. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, I've been here, as you said, almost 20 years. I've worked under three separate CEOs. I've been through about six contract negotiations in all kinds of conditions. Um, When good economies, bad economies, in direct negotiations, mediated negotiations, and arbitration hearings. And you're right. It it seems like there's uh, one main tact that the company takes, which is to drag out the process, delay, and it it just it, it's it's frustrating to see. And there's there's another, and there's a couple other things that they typically do. And one is, and I'm. Well, we've mentioned this on the podcast a couple of times and we've already seen it, but it it bears repeating is a conflation between company growth and job security. And those are separate things, but they will talk about that a lot. And I remember when I was a, a new hire still on probation, we were or the company was launching what they called the 2010 plan. And it was going to be the biggest growth that the company had ever done. And we were also negotiating a contract during this time. And the idea was, hey, guys, buckle your belt, stand by. We, we need you to help us to make this growth happen. And I had uh, an experience down in Los Angeles in the crew room. The then chief pilot was out promoting this plan. And so he had displaced my captain. And we were standing in the briefing room and he looked across the table and pointed at me and said, how long have you been here? I said, 11 months. He said, you're going to be a captain in three years. Are you ready? And I didn't say this because I was on probation, but what I was thinking was, you're asking me to be happy to make less sooner. And that I, I think that's a real common refrain that we've had over the years. Right. You know, it's, it's not unusual. These are things that they've tried to do for many, many years. Well, look how they look how they characterize our our meetings. You know, well, we, we're we're coming in trying to work with Alpo, but Alpo's just you know they're being unrealistic and they're you know they're basically describing themselves, only putting it on us. <laughs> you know, it's that is not how we enter in discussions, but it's repeatedly how they enter discussions. When you know you come in and say that one of the most important things that uh, is unresolved for pilots is non-negotiable. You're not serious about an agreement. You're not even serious about talking about it, but they're going to, you know, anytime you want to discredit someone, the first thing you do is demonize them. And uh, that's kind of been, if you look at the tone of their communications, it's sort of like, you know, they're the ones coming in as problem solvers and we're just obstructionists. And it couldn't, it couldn't be more untrue. And I think an interesting point on that, Joe, is also that they will bring that discussion to other work groups because we've certainly seen that, that it's easy to paint a narrative to other work groups that are not nearly as informed as our pilots are, that we're simply, the things that we're seeking will put the company at some type of a disadvantage and somehow threaten their 
career security at this airline. And I think that's also why it's important that you have a more public narrative that explains that it's all about parity and, you know, industry standard, not not in any way, shape or form somehow impacting their end of the the spectrum. That's right. That's right. That's and that's why we're going to deal in facts and and not fear. Uh, the company is going to use fear. They know that's a powerful motivator. So let's instill fear in people that if, you know, we try to address Alpa's concerns that it's going to be bad for everyone. Of course, we know that's not true. The financials don't support that narrative. Uh, you know, it's it's not a good story for them to tell. It just when you look at the facts of the situation, it doesn't hold up. And I think our pilot group is sophisticated enough to understand that. But we certainly don't want to put the company in jeopardy. We don't want to hurt their growth plans. And, and growth is driven by business opportunities anyway, uh, not by providing job protections for your pilots or giving them uh, scheduling flexibility. Both provisions that exist at virtually every other airline that we compete with. And they're doing just fine. And any struggles that, that other carriers are having have nothing to do with uh, scope or scheduling flexibility, they have to do with, you know, market conditions. Yeah, I just want to double back to something you just mentioned there, Will, and that's other work groups. And when proper scope is achieved in this contract, it will not only benefit our pilots, but it will benefit a lot of other work groups. I mean, that's flying that's done by Alaska Airlines pilots with Alaska Airlines flight attendants, dispatchers, CSAs, mechanics, a lot of other unionized groups in here that will benefit from that. So, this isn't just a pilot problem. It's it's something that we need to achieve for a lot of people. That's right, Ron. That's a that's a great point, and that goes back to facts. You know, if if you farmed out, so let's say, just twenty percent of our flying to another carrier, uh, that's not just pilots you don't need anymore. That's mechanics, it's gate agents, it's flight attendants, it's everybody, and everybody ought to have an interest in making sure that that doesn't happen. Yeah, that's right. And it's disingenuous to construe this as the best way to protect all those things is just to allow the company to grow. And while, of course, we want the company to grow and while, yeah, you get that that helps advance your seniority position a little bit. That's different than long term career security. And you can just look in the industry for examples of this. Right. TWA was a growing company right up until uh, it was bought by American. Northwest Airlines was growing right up until they merged with um, Delta. Virgin America was growing right up until Alaska Airlines bought it. So it's it's that kind of long-term, what's going to happen to my career security that we're looking for as well. It's just I, I want to have more numbers behind me. And, and I would expect the company to construe it this way, that you don't need to worry about scope. Just allow us to grow the company and everything will work out. And that's not correct. And we've certainly seen that narrative play out in their written communications. Uh, we've certainly seen it in terms of their outreach that they've done via webcasts and that type of a thing. And I firmly anticipate that we'll see, just like we have every other time, these informal meet and greets, sit down with the pilots in pilot resource centers to hear, to really hear what's on your mind. Again, under, I think, the false narrative that somehow we don't have very solid understanding of what the pilots need and want. In their contract right and i would expect them especially as more time goes by that they will double down on that false narrative and explain that not only is growth what you need but alpa is in the way 
of your career security because they're not allowing us to grow. They'll they'll turn that on to Alpa, which means they're turning it on against the pilots, and that's just not the case. Yeah, and, and certainly I think we only have to go back looking at this last year's worth of history to say that if they're experiencing any growth constraints in terms of what they've now visualized and what they want to achieve, the time to start that growth was early in this year. And they didn't take that risk and they embraced smaller bids in favor of cost savings. And that's now left them with a bottleneck to try and achieve the growth that they're seeking. But that's not on us. We made that incredibly clear to them that every time that they canceled a bid or that they ran a bid that was smaller than it needed to be, that what they were doing was taking intersection departure and leaving runway behind them. And at every turn, the opportunity was there for them to be able to grow without having to construe this narrative that somehow we're in the way of growth. Nothing could be further from the truth. So, Will, another thing that we often see from managements in negotiations is trying to find ways to drive a wedge between the pilot group, right? Oh, I mean, yes, we've certainly seen that in the past, that finding some way to fracture the unity of the pilot group and in some way paint a picture that it's you know, us against each other, which is obviously a false narrative in the context of these negotiations. There really is no way to fracture the pilot group along any lines. The pilots are incredibly focused on just a few key core things, and that can't be split, whether or not you're talking seniority, bases, or any other demographic, Captain FO, that, that, that you look at. The pilots across the board seek the exact same thing. Do you see any areas where they might try to divide? Well, they certainly have in the past. If we look back at, at history, going through the JCBA negotiations, both with uh, PBS versus line bidding, and again, that's a familiar territory that I think that you'll see explored here, and that's why we're focused on the scheduling flexibility piece and the quality of life. We have solutions that can can work for the pilots in either arena. But, you know, that uh, they certainly along retirement lines tried to define something as haves and have nots, um, you know, and then, as you said, this this growth narrative, which is essentially trying to play a junior pilot who's on the cusp of an upgrade against the rest of the pilot group um, in, in terms of their career advancement. Yeah. And that's and that's always a, a ridiculous argument. You know, you just can't stress enough that companies grow because of business opportunities. Companies grow because the economic climate encourages it, because there is demand. They don't grow because of this or that provision in a pilot contract or lack thereof. You know, and that's, it's just a false narrative. It's, it's nonsense. I think a lot of us have heard that throughout our career. Uh, and it's, it's all about trying to introduce fear, fear that I might not get my upgrade as quickly, fear that I might not get to bid to a different base as quickly. It's, it's nonsense. Right. Growth doesn't protect long-term career security. Scope does. Yeah, I just, you know, going back to your scope remark, it's just so important that pilots understand that scope is something that has to be in place before you need it. Uh, if you if you discover at some point that you really needed scope, it's already too late. This notion that, well, we've always behaved well, so you can trust us, I know from my own experience, is something that can turn out very badly. It's, uh, you know, if you're not planning to do anything nefarious, then you shouldn't have any 
reluctance to put that down on paper in, a, in, a, in an agreement between the association and the company. The goal here is not to restrict growth. It's not to restrict profitability. The goal is to make sure that the company is successful, but we're all still around to enjoy in that success. As we've always said, that we don't want to constrain the company. We just want to be material participants in that growth. When growth opportunities present themselves, the pilots at Alaska Airlines should participate meaningfully in that growth, not some other pilot group or some other entity. Exactly. All right. Well, thanks, everyone. Well, I'll turn it over to Will for some closing remarks in, in a minute. But I want to make one more reach out to our pilots uh, who probably, I would imagine, want to help out with this campaign. And one of the really valuable things that you can do is join us on the social media campaign. And I want to talk a little bit about how to do that and and why to do that. In In years past, we could be really effective by doing pickets. Um, walking in orbit in front of the airport was, was really a, a great tool. But now with the technology, we're able to do essentially a virtual picket and go right to the people who are interested in our airline. And so it's really effective. And you can help by with that by making sure you have social media accounts. So Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of that. And when, when we make a post, like it, uh, pass it on to your friends, you know, promote it, and that helps get the word out. And on this topic, I'd encourage you when you're engaging in social media in areas related to the company and negotiations and, and what's going on with Alpa, I'd encourage you to just repost what we've already created. Those items have been scrutinized to make sure we're protecting pilots in the union and that we're staying on message. If you create your own content, there's a chance that you you may put something out that actually doesn't help the process and worse, something that may get you in hot water that you need legal protection from. And so we want to keep you protected from that and we want to make sure that we are empowering the MEC and the negotiating committee to do the best job that they can. And I think that if there's pilot feedback that maybe some of the posts don't hit the mark or don't articulate a concern or that I would have said things differently, the important thing is to continue the dialogue with your elected reps and make sure that they understand your concerns and then we can incorporate them and move forward. That's right. These messages are, are targeted to a particular audience and it's not the pilots. Well, Will, what closing remarks do you have? Oh, thanks, David. I think it's super important to remind the pilots of a few things. And key in that is that I know frustrations are high. The reps know that frustrations are high. This is a very personal issue to each of us when it comes to negotiations, especially when, as we've said time and time again today, we see our professional peers seem not only to enjoy these key contract goals that the pilots have told us time and time again are important, you know, things that we want parity in, scheduling improvements, scope, but that they've also seemed to be able to achieve those goals in an easier time frame. You know, I don't think that other management teams are they're telling their pilots that their goals are not open for negotiation. They've just found ways to solve the concerns and move forward, right? And knowing history, as I said, we knew this was a possibility that we'd end up in mediation possibly, but we've ended up here before with this company. And while it may not be the place that we, we should be, um, we wanted to ensure that if that happened, if we ended up in mediation, that there'd be no other perspective then that ALPA has done 
absolutely everything to bring you in line with your peers and that we've tried everything, but more importantly, that we've also tried to be the professionals in all this. And I guess that's kind of what I want to stress is that even though you're frustrated and even though you are overdue to have a contract that brings you in line with the industry, that we all have to remain professional. The public is watching and our goals are best attained when they see that the black and white issues, honestly, that confront us, that that parity with our peers, which I think resonates with just about everybody in every walk of life, um, that we've been professional throughout our endeavors to achieve that. And so, as we always say, you know, come to work and, and do your job, be professional and allow others to do their job, as a former chairman has before me said. You know, be good to each other and by all means, be excellent to our passengers. You know, talk to your neighbors and friends, like we've said, and make sure that they know that it is time for the company to negotiate in good faith. You know, continue the dialogue with each other. As we've said on many podcasts, uh, call your reps with your thoughts, right? This is how we get to where we need to be. Uh, we've demonstrated time and time again that unity and dialogue is how we get there. That's right, Will. And this pilot group has displayed a tremendous amount of unity. Well, this concludes another episode of the Alaska Pilots podcast. I'd like to thank the three of you for coming in today and thank especially our listeners, both pilots and others interested in what we're talking about. You've been listening to another episode of the Alaska Pilots podcast. I'm your host, Strategic Communications Chairman, Captain David Campbell.